Welcome to Sustainable Horizons, where we take a deep dive into various sustainability topics and then talk with industry professionals who are working to solve those exact problems. We're your hosts, Taylor and Logan. Now let's learn how to face the future. Hey, Misha, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Logan and Taylor. Hello. So Misha Medvedev is a graduate of Williams College with a major in economics. He is the co-founder of Earth Brands and was recently listed on Forbes 30 Under 30. Thank you for joining us. And congratulations. Yeah, you always have to throw that on your resume for the rest of your life. <laughs> I mean, yeah. hopefully you don't have to apply to any other jobs the rest of your life. But <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's what I tell my mom every day. Which like... <laughs> Anytime she tells you to clean, it's like, mom, Forbes 30 under 30, can't. <laughs> well, I guess before we get into all things plastics, why don't you tell us a little bit about your time in college and how that led you to start Earth Brands? Yeah, so I went to... Um, Williams College back in 2018 with my best friend for a really long time and co-founder now, Peter. You could probably tell by the pictures on my wall, we grew up playing tennis our entire lives. And yeah, we played tennis together at, at Williams. Williams, for those who don't know, is a really small school in, in Massachusetts, liberal arts college. And yeah, tennis was, was what we were doing all day, every day. Williams also didn't really have too many opportunities for entrepreneurship or, or finance or anything like that. So we really just kind of, you know, bounce ideas off each other every day on our way to tennis practice. We've always been entrepreneurial our whole lives, starting little businesses here and there. And yeah, overall, it was an amazing experience. Got to learn a lot. You know, it's, it's a great school. It's a fun school. And, and tennis was a big part of our, our life there. So did you go on a ten- tennis scholarship? No, yeah. Williams is D3. So okay. <laughs> no, no scholarships at Williams, but... Yeah, we, we had a lot of fun. It was a small team and small community. And yeah, I got to travel um, across the Northeast. And for spring break, we would go to California, play the schools out there. And cool. Yeah, it was fun. You know, it, it was fun being a part of a team, right? When we growing up, tennis is such an individual sport. And so you would travel across the country, play, you know, stay in a hotel, lose the lose your first round, fly back home crying. And, and so it was really <laughs> nice being a part of a, a team. Yeah, for sure. Also at college, I'm sure there's parties going around. I don't know if you were, you're always there or not, but we definitely always see the aftermath of frat parties where there's almost always cups littered across the ground and they blow across the sidewalk and all over. So was that kind of one of the instigating observations behind the starting of the company? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a few things to point out here. You know, first is if you go to look at uh, any college ranking website or ranking website, you know, Williams is a, a D minus party school. And so we, we always uh, we always hear it's funny. It's, it's ironic that the solo cup replacement, you know, came out of Williams, <laughs> you know, and that is exactly kind of what happened. You know, we, we on our weekends, we obviously had fun and, and used solo cups and you know, played our fair share of beer pong. And we would notice, you know, we were literally using hundreds and if not thousands weekend after weekend. And, and we just kept thinking what's happening at the bigger party schools, right? Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Texas, and, you know, not naming those in, for any particular reason. But, <laughs> you know, we realized it's a huge market and, and it's a huge problem that there's solo cups everywhere. 
you go into your local liquor store or Costco or Walmart, and there's only solo cups. There's never a recyclable option. There's never another cup brand trying to be sustainable. And so that was what sparked the idea. And really, when we went into our dining halls, actually, we saw little water cups that said that they were plant-based and that, that said that they were compostable. And this was our freshman year. And we had no idea what that meant. We were like, this is plastic. Like, how, how could that be? And so that was our first exposure to this sort of plant-based material, compostables in general, and put the two together and, and created Earth Cups. Very cool. Awesome. So uh, you mentioned Red Solo Cups. If you look at your guys' social media, your website, there's a lot of digs thrown out there at that famous Red Solo Cup. So what, what kind of started that sort of media campaign as well as I even saw at one point they sent you a cease and desist letter? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they did. You know, it's funny when we were first starting and, and like really first starting, we were taking way more digs at them. We were DMing them and we were, we were really just kind of using their name everywhere. We've, we've definitely pulled back on that. We try not to you know, call them out specifically. It's really, and it's not just them. It's, it's really just red plastic cups in, in general. Yeah, I think we definitely use them as the David and Goliath story and also the main issue and problem that we recognized. So, you know, I think it's such an iconic cup and iconic product in, in, in the U.S. that everybody's familiar with. And, and so it's, we're trying to definitely replace it. Yeah, it's fine. I don't know. Do you guys want to guess how many solo cups or, or red plastic cups are used on college campuses every year in the U.S.? Ooh. Like across the country or per campus? Oh, my God. Listeners can guess, too, before I... Yeah, right. Ooh. <laughs> across the country? Across the U.S., college campuses, how many per year, how many, you know, red plastic cups are used? Yeah. I'm going to guess 5 billion. I think he overshot that one. Taylor? I'm going to say maybe I'll do 10 million. I'll undershoot it then. All right, undershoot it. The answer is, and we've done this case study a bunch of times, it's 8 billion. Whoa. Oh, so you didn't overshoot it at 5 billion. <laughs> what? Logan almost nailed it. But it's, it's, it's an enormous amount of plastic, just cups. Do you know how much that is in like weight? In pounds? Yeah, good question. I mean, haven't done that math, but you know, say a cup is about 10 grams or 16 grams, then you can easily find the poundage. Yeah, listeners can yeah. do that math for themselves. <laughs> DM us on social media and let us know what the math yeah, is. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you kind of talked about seeing the organic plant based cups. How did you decide the, not the Pacific, the specific type of material to use and uh, what goes? What kind of blend of plastic is it? Yeah. So when we were, again, first starting off, we looked into, you know, what, what, is, what are solo cups or what are these red plastic cups made out of, right? And they're made out of plastic called polystyrene. It's fully oil-based and uh, made from non-renewable resources. And it's really one of the hardest plastics or resins to actually recycle. And so what we learned is, and we called a bunch of recycling facilities and MRFs across the country asking them, saying, hey, when you receive this red solo cup or when you see receive a polystyrene cup, you know, how often do you actually recycle it or what do you do with it? Do you throw it out? And so the unfortunate answer is a lot of it does get just sorted out and, and ends up in the landfill anyway. And so that was a big spark for us. Whereas, okay, let, you know, let's move away from that material and let's move away to PET, which is the most recyclable material and resin in the country, in the world. Right now, 
their products be made out of RPT, which is recycled PET, like Coca-Cola, water bottles, or Dasani bottles. And then we came across PLA, right, which is the, our main plant-based material that we use. It's derived from corn and sugar. You know, we source it in the United States, and we started in, or we're starting to manufacture in the United States our, ourselves as well. And the concept there is that you can compost it, and it'll turn back into soil in 90 days when you put it into a composting facility. Now, a lot of people also don't think about this, but it's eco-friendlier on the production cycle as well. And we have LCAs to kind of show that carbon emissions on the production cycle and how that's better than a solo cup or, or any other plastic cup. The next thing we're moving into, which we haven't really released or announced yet, is a home compostable, a marine safe and backyard degradable cup made from algae and canola seeds. And so we're really big believers on the innovation side of things and looking into new materials to create new products out of. So that's what kind of wakes us up and keeps us going every morning. That is huge. Yeah, I hadn't even heard of that. Are, are you guys, I don't know what your technical science background is, so are, are you guys in the labs kind of helping figure that out? Or are you just doing the research to find companies and just staying up to date on the current research? Yeah, definitely um, current research. You know, I, I, more so Zooms over the past like two years building this than, than in person really. But no, we're, we have been working with a few scientists and, and just sort of alumni from Williams that are in the space that know bioplastics and, and kind of the research going on with algae. So that's been fun. And on your website, it says that your cups are net zero. How did you achieve that? Yeah, so we're partnered with a couple of great organizations, one being Climate Neutral, where at the end of every year, we calculate and then offset all of our carbon emissions from production, scope one, two, and three from facilities really anything. And so it's a good amount that we offset and, and we're, we're kind of really proud of that. And then being a part of other organizations like 1% for the Planet, and then also giving back to a few really awesome charities that are listed on our website. So yeah, we, the net zero definitely comes from kind of offsetting all of our emissions every year. To me, the most fascinating part of your story of Earth Brands of Earth Cups has been your ability to scale. Because also, I, if you don't mind me asking, you're only 23, right? 23. Wow. Can you walk us through how you've approached scaling up like you have from that initial idea to start this company, deciding to get your first loan, and then even receiving investments from the likes of Mark Cuban? Yeah, I think, at least for me personally, it's very little thinking and it's just doing, right? It's just going there and, and making things happen in my mind is... It's kind of like whatever, whatever needs to happen, whatever it takes, just, just go and make it happen. Even from, you know, ordering samples to placing our first order of, of 100,000 cups when we were first starting off and having no idea where I'm going to put them or no idea where I'm going to warehouse them, but just shoving them in, in my garage and saying, mom, you know, I'm putting these here and you can't do anything about it. <laughs> How does she feel about that? <laughs> well, she's happy now that they're out. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's really been figuring out where, where are the opportunities, listening to all the alumni that have helped us throughout the years, going out. And, and, and in the early days, we didn't really know what we were doing. So we were talking to so many alumni saying, hey, look, we know this is going to work, but we don't know how to do it. You know, what advice do you have for us? Who can you put us in touch with? And, and then every little piece of advice we got back then, we kind of used on the next call and the next call. And so we were able to just kind of put our heads down and, and keep pushing. Good on you. Networking is huge in the entrepreneurial space just to get the next step forward or find that lucky opportunity that, you know, kind of breaks into that space. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah. Again, when we were first starting before we had even product, we were just reaching out to alumni. There was a lot of them that were discouraging. They were like, oh, what about solo? They have distribution. They have the met plants and manufacturing and all that. And here's what's so funny. Actually, today I talked with someone and you immediately, sometimes you talk to investors or talk to advisors or people, they either get it or they either don't. And it's very binary and you can figure that out very quickly. And this one guy, this today, he got it. And he understood what we were doing and he understood that the potential this has and, and why we shouldn't worry too much about competition. And the thing that he said was, even if you put your business plan written out in detail on the board member desk of the Solo or any big plastics manufacturer, they will still not be able to execute on what you're trying to do. And it's so true because even though these big companies seem scary and they seem like they have control over the entire market and that they can wipe you out tomorrow, the reality is a lot of these people, they take their time, they work slow, they're not in a rush to sort of move all their materials to be more sustainable. And really, if, if you're the one that has the idea and like the motivation and drive to like make it happen you, you, and you work on it day and night, you'll, you'll beat anyone that seems like they'll take you out. So I, I really like that he said that. Yeah, it sounds like great advice. Yeah, I've always said, and some people think I'm kind of weird, that the business world is exactly like dating. You don't need to convince someone to be into you. People will just be into you for who and what you are. And so like in your case, for the people who don't get it, you don't have to force them to get it. It's like that classic sales interview question of sell me this pen. Are you looking to buy a pen? No. Okay. Have a good day. And I think that that's a great example of that as well. Yeah. No, I love that. Yeah. I think for us, what we tell internally to our team and what, what we're really trying to do is build a community, build a brand, you know, have fun. We're not really trying to shove things down businesses throats. We're really just trying to come out with a good offering we're finding our niche. We're differentiating from other plant-based cups out there. And what we always say is sell a story, not a product, right? So we're not really going out there and saying, hey, this is why this cup is 10 times better than the next plant-based cup. But we're trying to build a brand, partner with awesome companies and organizations and tell our story. So when you look at your TikTok, you'll see a lot of videos of college campuses and a lot of people having fun with Earth Cups. What made you decide to focus on college campuses? Yeah, so when we were starting out, again, that was the original idea was, hey, there's 8 billion solo cups used on college campuses every year. And there's not a single other company that's targeting the college market and the college student and that demographic. We're young, we know what's cool, and we know how to, we have friends that are in college. So that's how we started. You know, that was also the best way for us to build a brand and to get brand recognition. And so spending a year, two years, even still, still today, we're focusing on the college market to build a brand, get the awareness out there of what we're trying to do, which then helps us with food service, B2B, uh, and all that. And again, it's still, it's, it's a really a huge market and it's a huge issue. And, and, and again, I said it, but there's no other company really going after the college market. And so I think that's definitely a key advantage for us. Yeah, speaking of the B2B as well, you are on college campuses a lot, but you've also made your way into organizations like Marriott and Kroger, as well as sports teams like the Dallas Mavericks and Boston Celtics. How did you build your way into those companies as well? Yeah, so it's funny. Back, back when we first started, when we first had those 100,000 cups in, in my garage, it was actually, we, we launched April of 2021, which was peak COVID. 
So it's funny, we were launching a college cup when there were no college students on campuses. It was a weird time to launch and everything was so expensive. Yeah, that's a rough time. But it actually, and so it was funny because we thought 100,000 cups was a billion. We thought we're never going to sell 100,000 cups. This is way too many. And we were like, what are we doing? And because of supply chain issues, we actually had a few people put us in touch with some breweries. And the breweries reached out to us saying, hey, we can't find cups anywhere because of supply chain issues. But we heard you guys have cups, let alone plant-based ones, which is just a bonus. And they, and they basically bought half our inventory. It was at that moment we realized, wow, you know, the food service industry is, is 100 times bigger than the college market, which is already massive. And so ever since then, we've been focusing a lot on breweries, bars, stadiums, festivals, hotels, airlines, cruise lines, coffee shops, you name it. Um, they all use millions and millions and billions of cups. And so since then, we've built our own sales team. We do a lot of mass outreach to all these organizations that use plastic cups, lids, straws, and have been focusing on that. Less than 1% of all plastic right now that's produced and used by all these verticals is plant-based. And that's expected to grow to 25, 50% over the next decade. That's crazy. I know you mentioned earlier that you are opening a manufacturing plant here. Is that currently up and operating and where is that located? Yeah, so we're setting it up in, in Texas, you know, and we actually now have almost half a dozen partners in the United States that are helping us with supply chain and, and manufacturing our own products. But yeah, we've actually invested in our own equipment and we're setting that up to actually produce these cups faster and cheaper. Um, so making the plant-based cups a bit more affordable for, for all organizations and, and consumers. Do you know how big that facility is? How many cups you can put off the line? Yeah. Our first year we'll be able to make probably a couple hundred million off the line. Insane. <laughs> it's hard to fathom a number that big. <laughs> Went from 100,000 to 200 million. <laughs> Sounds like a trade cleric. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the reality is still 200 million, grand scheme of things, is, is a drop in the bucket. We really hear stories, people, experts in this field that have been in the industry for decades. You know, these big plastics manufacturing plants, it's, it's millions of cups an hour. I mean, so it's, it's really hard to wrap your head around it. So you mentioned trying to get the costs down. I have tried to work with a handful of restaurants, trying, especially come patio season, a lot of restaurants like to switch over to just disposable plastic cups. And I've tried to get them to use something like Earth Cups. But one of the biggest challenges for them is just that per unit cost. And restaurants are typically smaller businesses, unless you're working with, you know, Applebee's and huge chains. So when it comes to those larger businesses, the B2B sales, how much of them per deciding to purchase Earth Cups rather than Solo Cups is because they have their own environmental goals? And I mean, kind of with that, how close are those per unit costs? So when we first started, our per unit cost was, at least for our plant-based, you know, you take plant-based cups versus Solo Cups was about 2x, which, you know, for consumers... You know, there's many consumers that are paying that premium and are willing to pay that premium. But when you're talking about Applebee's and, and McDonald's and these guys that are using billions of cups, every penny matters and every half a penny matters and adds up. So, you know, every day we're thinking of ways, how do we cut our costs? One way is manufacturing, insourcing manufacturing, investing in that equipment to cut our costs in half, making these cups more affordable. And from our perspective, 
We obviously don't make our own raw material. We work with a lot of raw material suppliers internationally, and they're all, you know, looking to increase their capacity over the next decade, you know, just because of the amount of demand there is out there. So the way we think about it is when, you know, Teslas and solar panels first started off and, and they were all really, really expensive, brands and then consumer government pressure came together and drove the cost down. And we're going to see the same thing here. Looking forward to it. Can you tell us about what it was like or how the process is to get on the Forbes 30 under 30? I know we tried. I know we some people put on our radar in 2021. We applied. We didn't get it. Waited six months. And then I think we forgot about it. Someone on our team applied. We had to fill out a few questionnaire back like last summer. Completely forgot about it. And then I think it's like early December. We just got an email. And so it was very out of nowhere, but it was a nice uh, early Christmas gift. <laughs> very fun. That has to be pretty surreal. I mean, what, what was your emotions like when you when you heard about that? We were excited. Yeah, we were pumped up. You know, I, I remember we spent the whole day. We canceled meetings. We were like, <laughs> <laughs> we had to go buy some champagne and oh, for sure, yeah, some, some sweets. So you guys offer what you call your closed loop program. Do you want to explain what that is and what made you decide to offer that? So one thing we noticed and kept hearing from customers was, you know, our our current green plant-based earth cups are great on the pre-production cycle life and, and, and the post cycle life. But, you know, ideally the best thing you can do with them is compost them. You can put them in a composting bin and they end up at a composting facility. We've heard from a lot of businesses, stadiums and breweries that, you know, they might not have access to local composting facilities or bins or services. And so that got, that got us thinking, saying, hey, you know, what, what could we offer? What kind of service can we offer using our ambassadors, using just, just, just an offering to basically set up bins, educate their consumers and their attendees to look out for earth cups, look out for earth bins put the earth cups in the earth bins, and then we take them to a composting facility. And so we actually do it every year with Princeton University for their reunions. It's, you know, 30, 40,000 people, it's 200,000 earth cups. This year we set up over 300 bins. And then we were on site for three days and we ended up collecting over 72% of the cups and then taking them to a composting facility for them to break down. And so we were able to save over 120,000, you know, cups from ending up in a landfill. And so it was a, it's a great case study. And, and this fall, we're setting it up now with TD Garden, American Airlines Center, and helping these companies create closed loop programs. I, I saw that it, it wasn't just, you said you guys were at Princeton, not, and you didn't, you don't just mean you as a company, like you guys were there yourselves, getting your hands dirty, opening up bags and sorting and everything. What makes you want to go that extra mile, not even just... Now, as the company, but as an individual. Yeah. You know, we were actually just dreaming it up for like a, a, a whole year and which sounds crazy, but we really wanted to do it and we wanted to, you know, go there, get our hands dirty. So yeah, for three days straight, um, my co-founder, Peter and I, we were there until four in the morning, three nights in a row, sorting through trash bags, <laughs> picking up cups from the ground. And look, it, it ended up being a success. And, and now we have plans for next year to do it again. And with more volunteers this time and, and uh, <laughs> hopefully hopefully gets like, you know, around 90, 95%. I think we can do it. You mentioned that you have the earth cups and then you have the earth bins. How successful was that for helping people understand where to put that? 
because in previous podcasts, we've talked about how people can get confused when it comes to like trash recycling and composting at like stadiums and things like that. So is that, did you find that to be kind of successful having him under the same name like that? Yeah, a hundred percent. So when we first started, another big catalyst for what we were trying to do and, and why we're doing what we're doing was we realized how much confusion and deception there is in the plastics industry, mainly around the recycling logo and triangle symbol that everyone's familiar with. That's on the bottom of every plastic product that we use on a daily basis. And majority, you know, I'm not going to say no, but majority of Americans think, oh, I see that symbol. It's recyclable. The truth is, and, and it's increasingly becoming known that what's more important is the number that's inside that triangle, which determines what resin and what plastic that material is and, and whether or not it's recyclable. And so solo cups, for example, are the number six. And even though there's a triangle symbol, as I said earlier, all these recycling facilities end up throwing it out anyway. So we realized that's, so, that's such a big, so, so confusing to so many consumers and we wanted to keep things really simple. And, and that's why even on our cups and, and what we're doing now is we're basically color coding it, right? If it's a blue earth cup and it's a blue little circle, it means recyclable. If it's our green one, it means compostable. And so what we learned at Princeton University's case study was on the 300 bins that we set up, each one had our big EC green logo. And so we saw throughout our whole time there, all so many people realizing, oh, this green earth cup with this green EC logo goes in this green EC bin. What we're almost trying to do is recreate the recycling symbol and really keep it simple and for, for people to understand. Yeah, I like the idea of color coding because blue has always been recycling. I feel like that's just been ingrained in our heads and green basically has always been composting. So like kind of having those two colors is way easier than knowing what the numbers are. You know, the other thing is so many of kind of the other plant-based or compostable cup companies, their cups are ugly. <laughs> so they have, <laughs> personally, their stripes are, <laughs> yeah, they got little, they have little text around, they have little, they have stripes everywhere. They have text around it that nobody reads. Right. And so we, we try to keep it really simple and, and, and build a cool brand. So what is the coolest fun fact or just thing that you've learned as you've just really dove headfirst into the world of plastics and plastic packaging? Coolest fact? Jeez. <laughs> I'd have to say, I think what's been really cool, and especially this year, is as we're doing all this R&D into new materials, is how powerful seaweed and algae is and how amazing its properties are to really create new packaging products out of it. The fact that it's regenerative, the fact that it grows five times as fast in five times the amount of space as other sort of renewable resources. And so we're really excited to just keep moving in that direction and and educate people about it because there's still so many people that don't know that. So is that seaweed being grown in the ocean or is that like being grown in a lab or how, how is that seaweed being sourced? It's, um, it's all ocean-based seaweed um, off the coast of Alaska and Maine and working with the farms there and also essentially biorefineries that take that seaweed, that algae, and, and turn it into biopolymers and, and extract the fats from it. And so it's been, it's been really interesting. And you know the fact that you can make thin film out of it or you can use seaweed to create lining for hot cups or, or bowls and, and eventually pretty soon here, 
you know, what, what they call hard plastics. And so such as a cup or a fork, you know, just the amount of interesting mixing of materials to, to make something home compostable or something, you know, uh, marine safe is, is pretty amazing. I, I say this kind of as a joke too, but I you should come to Minnesota and you should go around one of our 10,000, I think it's actually 12,000 lakes in August. And there's more seaweed than you'll ever imagine. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> nice. I will. I'll take you up on that. I think that <laughs> seaweed is pretty cool. I don't want to geek about it, but there's a lot of amazing companies, you know, doing incredible things with it too. So it's, it's awesome. Yeah. I think it's just cool that the idea to bring it to home, home composting is just super important because a lot of times I don't think people understand that composting doesn't mean you can do it in your backyard all the time. Right. Sometimes you need that industrial composter and the heat levels to actually get these things to break down in the 90-day cycles. So yeah, being able to actually do it in your backyard after having a little grad party or something like that, super cool and I think really important in the future of bioplastics in general. Yeah, I'd say there's hope, you know, that even though there's billions and billions of cups out there, I think, you know, brands like ours, what where we stand is we're really just trying to go out there and create the demand and educate people for it, right? You know, again, we don't have manufacturing capabilities like these big plastics manufacturers, but we're going out there, we're setting that up, setting up distribution where where we have a lot of different capabilities that customers need and want. And pretty exciting to see, even over the course of the last two years, how much demand and the increasing demand for these types of products is. It's pretty inspiring. Do you want to let people know where they can find Earth Cups, find Earth Brands, get connected, get involved, all that good stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So Earth Cups, pretty much everywhere in terms of social media. They're on Amazon, they're on our website, and hopefully soon, you know, Whole Foods, Costco, Walmart near you. And stay tuned. Yeah, it's it's an exciting journey. Costco would be insane. That would be huge. Literally, literally huge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about on social media? Is it, are you guys on Earth Cups or Earth Brands right now? Earth Cups, yep. So Earth Cups, pretty much everywhere on Twitter, X now, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> and uh, Instagram, TikTok, and yeah, we do a bunch of interesting, fun email newsletters. So check us out on our website, earthbrands.earth. Nice. Wonderful. Misha, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Very excited about future of Earth Cups and Earth Brands and looking forward to finding a better alternative to plastics as a whole. Let's do it. We'll do it together. Thanks, Logan. Thanks, Taylor.